you little beauty, it's G'day World for Wednesday, 21st of June. Hello. <laughs> G'day World, G'day special guest co-host Mike C. Fang. Hello children. He's playing that goddamn guitar again, people. I get mine out, but I know he's better than me, and we'll just start having a battle of the bands. Oh, typical, typical. It's not competitive, it's community. We can share together in the musical experience. Share? Yeah, man. It's all about sharing and caring. Oh, my God. So, Mike, uh... Tell us a little bit about what you've been doing lately. You've uh, had a yeah. Now, for people who don't know, Mike, Mike and I go back. Mike's we an do. Ex, Mike. Mike's been on the show before, but for people who are first time tuner inners to G'day World, Mike's another ex Microsofty based out of Adelaide, the city of churches in South Australia. Correct. And you left uh, not long after me, did you? A few six months after me, or a few months after me? A couple of yeah, years ago, anyway. February last year, wasn't it? Oh, hell. Oh, shit. That's when we launched G'day World. No, yeah, I mean, TPN. Yeah. TPN. Actually, it's, it's because of podcasting in G'day World that I left. <laughs> you go, it's a scary thing. It is. I, I don't want to be responsible for anyone else. Doing <laughs> you are. Doing their jobs, man. Um, and for the last year, you've been doing uh, the Learn Dog Odyssey. I have indeed. Had a nice year's gig to be funded to start a Greenfields thing. And Learn and Dog's all about uh, helping kids find uh, vocation? No, helping kids through recognition of okay. their vocational skills. It's more about their self-esteem and their mental health than getting jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Excellent. And But, uh, but you, you've taken a break from that. No, we've run out of money, so I've had to go and do consulting <laughs> to pay the bills. Still in my heart, but I'm having to, to follow the head and pay the bills and keep the family fed and in school and all those things. Yeah, man, the realities of life are uh, a drag, aren't they, sometimes? Well, that's why I said sharing and caring. You know, we can't eat, but hey, we can play our guitars. <laughs> <laughs> all right, now we've got some uh, potential guests coming on today too, mate. Um, Groofy. Uh, what'd you say? I said Groofy. Oh, Groofy. <laughs> that reminds me too much of uh, watching Evil Dead 2 the other night. Oh, my when goodness. We, great movie I hadn't seen for, oh, God, 15 years. But the, 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 some of the great scenes where Bruce Campbell as Ash chops off his hand with the chainsaw and is like, groovy. Attaches the chainsaw to his hand and groovy is his favourite uh, term too. I'm sorry I conjured that image in your mind. Oh, no, it's awesome, man. Awesome, awesome movie. One of the funniest damn movies I've ever seen. Now, um, I'm going to introduce a new segment to G'day World today, too. Oh, good. This is a segment called... What Cheeses Me Off? Hang on, hang on. You're ripping that off from another show on your network. No. Yes, you are. What? Uh, The blocked catheter section of the Extraordinary Everyday Live show. Oh, yeah, actually. <laughs> oh, I wasn't actually thinking of that, but okay. Oh, uh, much you weren't. I'm gonna. Re- no, I was thinking of Hey Hey It's Saturday, but uh, yeah. you know, where you guys ripped it off from. Correct. But I don't have a blocked catheter. But um, I've got something that's pissing me off this morning, and I wanted to share it with you. Share it with me, Cameron. <laughs> what pisses me off is when you try to rip a DVD and it fails because it's <laughs> too 
because it's, you know, too scratched. That's just wrong. Any process that fails at the last step is wrong. There should be a law against DVDs being too scratched for you to steal. Now, I just think, that, you know, we, we need to, we need to get together. We need to form a, a you know, a, a, a million geek march. We need to march on, you know, I was going to say Washington, but Canberra, in our case, and get them to pass a law through the Senate to say, if you rent a DVD to somebody, it must not, by law, be too scratched for them to rip and steal. I just think it's, it's, what the, what is the world coming to when I can't even rip a DVD without it failing? Clean up your act, media industry. Now um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a little uh, what cheeses me off recording button on the G'day World site. So I want to know what cheeses you off, people. Record a message, leave it up. We'll chuck it in the show and we'll talk about it. And uh, let's you know what what pisses. And the other thing that I've talked about, I think recently on the show, serving sizes. Oh yes, yes. Did you hear me rant about that the other day? I did. I almost stopped the car and chuckled. It was so amusing. Serving sizes. What? And yeah, there's two things because you know I'm trying to lose weight at the moment. Serving sizes where they go. Oh yes, this you know tub of yogurt is uh, serving size of two, when it's <laughs> you know really a mouthful in the bloody thing. And the other thing is 99% fat free. Now, I was explaining to Mrs. Riley last night how the 99% fat-free milk that she buys actually is 25% fat. <laughs> you do the math. Now, now, the way that, for people who don't know how this works, here's how it works. When they put, the way they get away with putting 99% fat-free on stuff out there is because it's 99% of the weight of the product. So if it's a 100 gram product and there's one gram of fat, they say it's 99% fat free. However, if you took a 100 milliliters of water, a milliliter of water weighs a gram, doesn't it? Yeah. No, no, a milliliter, no, a centre, a gram for 10 mils, 10 mils a gram. Is it? Yep. Anyway, let's say you had a 100 grams of water and you put a gram of fat into it. Now, by weight, it would be 99% fat-free, but 100% of the calories, or kilojoules, if you live in our country, come from fat. So, what's the point of saying the product's 99% fat-free if 100% of the calories in it are coming from fat? It's really 100% fat. But the way that the, the you know they do this shit, they can get away with it in this country, and I'm sure it's the same all around the world. Is you can get away with saying that's a 99% fat-free product. Yeah, it's bullshit, people. What you need to do is on the little you know uh, nutrition chart on the side, you need to have a look at how many calories or kilojoules per hundred grams. Have a look at how many grams of fat per hundred grams. Keep in the back of your mind that there's 37 kilojoules in a gram of fat. I mean, you know, rough it up to 40, <laughs> and then multiply the grams of fat by 40 to give you the total number of kilojoules in the product that come from fat, and then figure out what that is as a percentage. Then you can figure out, you know, how much of this fat. There you go. That's just Cameron's little diet rant for the day. That's what cheeses me off. Excellent. And you know what's cheesing me off, don't you, Cam? Phone scams. Oh, what a seamless segue. It really cheeses me off. Tell, tell us all about the phone scams. Oh, Bang. 
Well, I've got teenage kids and I've got a daughter who maintains her own prepaid phone out of her mere pittance of an allowance, which is half her age, which is pretty scabby in this day and age. And she lost an entire two months, actually, worth of phone calls because of an SMS scam that I blogged about a few months ago. But yesterday, I got one of these Mr. Call, call it back scams, which really got up my nose. So I made a little podcast of recording that and had a bit of fun with it. In fact, if you're bored today, if our guests don't come through, we can call them up and share it with your audience, if you like. Phone scams are the worst. And these ones are pretty bad. And in fact, I've been doing a bit of digging this morning, and there's some teens called Four Wise Monkeys who've got themselves a bit of a website, and they're collecting information about the DC marketing company that's perpetrating this scam. And due, they were due to be on Triple J Monday, then Tuesday, and it says here, as of Tuesday the 20th, Triple J's legal team still has to approve the story. So there's obviously, and there's a few cease and desist letters going around and, and some ugliness from these kids who are just trying to share strategies of how to cope with this crap with their community. Mm. Oh, don't now, get me started. Something else that cheeses you off is uh, spaces, MSN spaces. You're changing your blog. You're moving your blog. That doesn't cheese me off. It's served me well for the last 18 months. But what does cheese me off about it is the lack of integration with all the, the Call for School tools. So all of your browser-based blogging things and plugins and stuff, none of them work properly with Spaces, of course, because it's all way proprietary. Mm. And, yeah, the thing that tipped me over there was in, I'm loving Flock, and it's got a nice little uh, offline editor, but mm. it ain't going to work with Spaces. So over to uh, WordPress I go... WordPress is a good little product. Shout out to Matt Mulligan and the team at Automatic. What a great, great service they have provided the world by putting WordPress out there. Created a bit of a phenomenon, haven't they? Indeed. Now, something else that I know cheeses off Sebastian Pruth. Now, Sebastian's a mate of ours who lives in Queensland and nice. uh, listener of the show, does the Global Geek podcast and the uh, podcast periodical. Um, now, actually, he's not in Queensland. What am I talking about? He's in he's in bloody the UK. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's his uh, co-host on Global Geek Podcast, Rooster, my mate who's in Cairns. But anyway, Sebastian uh, shot me uh, a Skype this morning telling me about uh, Skype, funnily enough, and how he was um, talking to a guy in where? I don't know. Maybe the US. Joe, Joe Klein from the podcast Voice Guys. He was talking to him last night on Skype. And Joe says, uh, hold on, I've got a call coming in. I've got to take it. So he took it. I don't know why anyone takes incoming calls on Skype. But anyway, he did. And then he came back. It says, a couple of minutes later, he came back on the line and told me that the call was a recorded message that appeared to be a telemarketing pitch in Spanish. Oh. Joe said he couldn't believe that he just received what he thought to be a telemarketing call on Skype. I jumped out of my skin realising that this ghastly plague may already be affecting the vast Skype community. Our worst fears may just have been realised, I thought. We are not even free of advertising on VOIP anymore. Global spam, phone spam. Fantastic. Hmm. What have we done? VoIP spam. Oh. So I don't, if anyone else has been telemarketed via spam out there, let us know. I haven't. Have you? 
Oh, yeah. Well, that's basically what this one is. If when you call back, you get this, congratulations, you've won the winner's hotline. Call yeah, wait, 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 wait. Not, not, by, not by Skype, not on Skype, though. Oh, on Skype, sorry. Yeah, well, it's a fine line. It's a fine line. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the same it, thing. It's bound to happen. It is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, the wrong language is like I said, global. Fantastic. You know, it, the very best and the very worst come out of all of this connectivity, don't they? Fantastic. So I'm gonna. I guess we're gonna have to have. Uh, well, I don't know. I guess there's, there's probably better ways of filtering that kind of stuff than there is over your old dog and bone. Oh, definitely. In fact, we need to listen to kids like the Four Wise Monkeys and figure out how the youth of today are going to solve these problems. Yeah. Have you spoken to them? We should. No, no. I'm just. Phone. Just. We should. We should. They look like they've got their act in a pile. These. What's it? Kids. Number Four Wise Monkeys. Monkeys. Com? com. Yeah. I wonder if they're on Skype. We should get them on. They probably are. We should. We should do that right this millisecond. While I'm looking that up... Mm. As our brains go into left brain mode, (laughs) we search for things. Uh, Contact us. Yeah. No. Never mind. Jeff got a contact page, not a Skype number. Oh, well, we can't get the Four Wars Monkeys on right now, but we might we'll track them, them down. We'll hunt them down like a dog. Uh, now, uh, I was going to say something else that I'm quite excited about is uh, this article I read today on uh, news.com, cnetsnews.com. Um, what if robots turn out to be sexy? That is the question, said Henrik Christensen, member of the European Robotics Research Network, which examines problems likely to arise as robots become smarter, faster, stronger and hornier. Though Christensen isn't the first to think about assigning ethics to mobile metal, he might be the fountainhead for statements such as people are going to be having sex with robots within five years. Now... I don't know how you define a robot, but wouldn't a vibrator be classified as a robot, technically speaking? Oh, yeah, that's a, the whole field of cyberdildonics goes into this quite deeply, I'd suggest. I don't know much about the field of cyberdildonics. Mike, please share your thoughts. You don't? Oh, sure, surely... I mean, come on, you've been in IT for a long time. The the porn industry and the spam industry are always the leader, leaders of yes. technology, as we've Abs- just been discussing. Of course. So everything from, you know, back in the old days, who were the first people to do mass mail-outs? It was our friends in the porn industry. Why was the internet there? You know, those, all those 8-bit ASCII printouts of, of boobies right through to the current day things we can do. So, of course, the field of cyberdildonics has been around for a while. Basically, suits that one implants and straps on and can be controlled by a party at the other end. Okay. Well, you know, I think that sex with robots is definitely a good thing. I mean, I think, you know, li- living inside vibrators, we want to go uh, deeper into that. I-, I-, I want the, what was it Austin Powers had, the, the fembots? Fembots, yes. Absolutely. Yes. As long as they all look like, uh, what's her face? Who look at one. Yeah. No, she doesn't do it for me. But, yeah. you know, I've said for years that, uh, you know, we will have female companion androids uh, oh, yeah. by, in my lifetime, and they'll have interchangeable face plates and body parts. Uh, it's the battle of the sexes, people, because once we have female androids that you can copulate with and they can give you a back massage... I think I know where this is going. And that can cook... <laughs> And wash and clean, 
there is no reason for women anymore. As as Doc Searle said recently, I read this on Dave White. If you saw this on Dave White's blog last night, but uh, he said, he quoted Doc Searle. He said um, something about don't get married, just find somebody you really hate and give them your house and buy them a house. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, not that I you know don't have a very happy marriage, but come on, let, let's face it. If if we could. If we had female androids where you could make them look like however you wanted them to look and they'd give you a head job and uh, take care of the house, there, there is no reason why men would ever go through the pain of relationships, is there? I would just like to point out that the opinions of Cameron are in no way <laughs> related to my own. Big well, let's, Mandy, how are you going out there? <laughs> let's see what Thomas Hawke thinks. Now, um... Whoops, I'm about to get Thomas Hawke on the line. Tom- I can't believe anyone would ask the question, though, will we be having sex with robots? Of course, that's why they'll be created, for crying out loud. Just just hold there for a minute while I get I'm Thomas Hawke on the line, man. All right, now we've got a very special guest, Don, the one, the only Thomas Hawke, photographer extraordinaire from San Francisco. We've talked about you a lot on this show over the last year, Thomas, with all your photos. How you doing, mate? Uh, doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, big news from you uh, yesterday, I think I read on your blog, that you're joining Zoomer. That's right, with three O's. With three O's. Now, we've been, <laughs> now we, we were just talking, obviously, about Zoomer on the show the other day as well, and the whole Flickr API thing that happened, and Stuart's response to that, etc., etc. But now you've come and announced that you're joining Zoomer, which is almost as big as the news of Scoble joining PodTech, I'm quite sure. Uh, I'm not quite sure that big, but yeah. <laughs> now, Zoomer at the moment, for for people who haven't heard of Zoomer, uh, Zoomer's obviously, uh, what, how was it described by Mike Arrington, uh, Flickr on steroids? Yeah, Mike was, was pretty generous and uh, had taken a look at it and dubbed it Flickr on steroids and... Um, and whatnot, and and talked a little bit about features. So he's been a he's been a good early fan of the software. So I haven't had a play with it. Tell us what it is about Zoomer that got you excited enough to decide to go and join the company. Well, I think what was most exciting to me was, um, you know, as somebody who's who's really into sort of the photo geek stuff. Um, you know the feature stuff on Flickr and, and other places I've been I, I love, and so you know I'm always looking for more features and more features and more features and more interesting ways to slice and dice photos and, and to work with photos. And you know I think one of the things with Flickr and and not that this is a bad thing, but they've just gotten so big and, and new features need to scale to you know enormous an enormous user base. Uh, you know Zoom starting out as smaller, and I think at least right now uh, can implement new features. You, you know, pretty easily, and so for me, a lot of the early features that I saw, I, I uh, blogged a post a while back about um, when Chris had added uh, trackbacks to Zoomer. So one of the questions that you get a lot on Flickr is, well, geez, you know, my photo has a thousand views. Why is that? And typically, the answer is because it was blogged somewhere, but you just don't know where. And so having trackback features where the, uh, you know, when the photo is blogged somewhere, referring URL comes in, uh, to Zoomer, have that right there where the user can see and go see where their photo's at on the internet, I think is a really cool feature. Uh, that's just one example. I mean, there's a ton of features and a ton of new stuff coming up in version 2.0, which is going to launch, uh, early next month. 
And so that's that's just really exciting. I mean, to see the, the rapid uh, way, the rapid speed at which Zoomer is able to add those features and change and become a better and better photo sharing site. Now, you said in your blog post that Chris, who's the the founder of Zoomer, was some 19 year old whiz kid. Uh, 18, actually, just turned 18. <laughs> Holy hell! So, I can vote now in the U.S. Where where, where does he live? Uh, down in Mountain View. Oh, okay. And so he's, what, uh, just finished uh, school? Uh, well, he's, he's still going to school at night some, and he's uh, learning some Japanese right now. So. <laughs> and he just hacked Zuma together in his spare time? Uh, you know, the kid's a genius. Uh, I mean, I've spent some time with him. I mean, he, he's been, uh, uh, you know, developing software, you know, since he was, you know, a very, very young age, and initially with hardware first, but, uh, you know, since, you know, four or five years old has been doing that stuff. And so he's um, really immersed himself in it, and he's built something that has some skills that are pretty amazing. I've got five-year-old kids. I'm trying to figure out how I would teach five-year-old kids to write software. <laughs> yeah, I've got a I've got a five year old almost six two and I can't imagine it. <laughs> well that's amazing. So how how many other people are there in the um Zuma team? Is it just you and Chris now or is there a team of people? Well, there, there is a team of individuals as well that are involved with it, and some investors and lawyers and and uh, you know management and whatnot. But uh, in, in terms of the core of it, it's uh, uh, guys working on it. Uh, it's myself and Chris. How does a so what, it's Chris? How does a seventeen-year-old kid raise investors? Get investors? Uh, develop something really, really cool, and then get written up as the uh, you know flicker on steroids on TechCrunch, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's an amazing story. We'll have to get him on to hear a little bit more about it at some stage. But um, yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I mean, bottom line, I mean, he developed something that's that's really, really cool. And even though he's he's yeah, he's a kid, uh, he's a talented developer, and he and and obviously investors, I think, see the value of photo sharing sites. Uh, I mean, uh, WebShots was sold twice, uh, most recently to CNET, and Flickr was sold to Yahoo. And I think, you know, there's uh, you know a lot of different people are looking to integrate the great photo sharing sites. And, you know, I seriously believe that Chris has the ability to create the coolest one out there. And what's your job going to be at Zuma? Uh, Chief Evangelist. Okay, good good job. <laughs> always, yeah. like, always good to have an evangelist in the in the title. It's fairly open yeah, well, job. <laughs> yeah, but, but and a lot of that will be, I mean, obviously sharing with others and communicating about, um, you know, Zuma and what it is and how it works and what are the differentiating features and all that. Uh, but part of it also, you know, we'll be working with Chris very closely about, you know, what features should we develop. And, you know, we spent a, a lot of time this afternoon just sort of going through, uh, you know, a number of features we want to add to the site, and we're aggressively developing them. And, uh, you know, I'll come up with ideas, and then Chris is able to, uh, you know, has the skill to kind of implement those in the software. And, and that's just, geez, it's really cool and a lot of fun to work on. So if, if people ask the question, you know, why should I use Zoomer and not Flickr, do you have a, a, a an elevator response yet? Well, the first response is I think you ought to use both. Uh, I mean, I think that I honestly believe that uh, Zoomer is uh, additive to Flickr. Um, you know, I plan on continuing to use Flickr, and, and, and I can't imagine not. I mean, Flickr is really, really cool. 
And, um, you know, I think that right now, for instance, Zoomer doesn't have anywhere near the community base, although that's something that we're working on is developing the community base, and it'll be a big part of 2.0, but they don't have anywhere near the community base that uh, a place like Flickr does. And I think the difference there is, you know, Flickr has got probably a lot more community now and a lot of, and a lot of very, very cool features, uh, also particularly community-driven features that Zoomer doesn't have right now but will be implementing similar type of community features. Uh, but I think uh, Zoomer will also be a great playground for those sort of advanced Flickr users and the, you know, sort of pro-end photographer that want to look at ways to uh, play even more with their photos and photo sharing. And I think I think you'll see a lot of those types actually using both services. But I uh, obviously don't want to have to upload my photos to more than one location. I want to upload them somewhere into the cloud and manage them from there. So, uh, you know, I, I have to make a decision. Am I going to upload it to Flickr or am I going to upload it to Zoom? Or are there reasons why you would do, you know, you would upload, choose one of those places and not the other right now? Uh, well, I mean, I think for the user that only wanted one photo sharing site, yeah, I mean, there are some some reasons, and um, you know, I think you know from that point you got to look at well, what are you getting, and and what's your cost if you're maybe just a casual user, and um, and your time to upload. I mean, personally myself, I've got I've got my shows uploaded uh, to about six different photo sharing sites. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, but you're you're, you're you're hardcore, man. You're not you're not, you're yeah, not yeah. the average no, user. That's right? true. That's true. For the average user, though, I think that, you know, one of the things that I hope will make this easier and easier in the future, though, is, and it's kind of interesting that you bring that up, because there's been a sort of a big debate going on in Flickr Central today that, you know, I'm a blog club that I've been a part of and Stuart's been involved in, and, um, uh, you know, and that has to do with the portability of, of data and the portability of, of not just the pictures, but the metadata associated with the pictures and all of that. And, you know, right now, um, you know, for instance, there are some sites and Tableau is a good example where if I want to, you know, easily import all of my Flickr photos over to Tableau, I can. It's just a click of a button. And, you know, I don't know what the future standards are going to be, whether it's going to be sort of a download and then a re-upload at other sites uh, sort of uh, methodology or how exactly that's worked. But I do believe that, you know, all the photo sharing sites, and, and I believe that Stuart and Flickr agree on this as well, that, you know, fundamentally the, this content that's on all these sites belongs to the users. And, you know, so I think it's important to figure out the best ways to provide users portability and the ability to, you know, easily have their stuff on multiple sites or to move from one site to the other or, or all of that. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I want to point into my Flickr photos and I'd love to get that mapping facility that you guys have got there. I'm just looking at one of your photos of a bat and I've clicked to a map and some real cool stuff's happened. I would be... Ah, I think delighted. that's my photo. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, awesome. That's my bat photo? <laughs> yeah, I reckon it is. Yeah, uh, that, yeah, that's... That mapping stuff is also a really cool feature of Zoomer that they have right now. Um, as you'll see from that map with my bat photo, I've mapped that to the Oakland Zoo, which is where I took that photo. And so there's a lot that Flickr is doing, especially with geotagging. That's really That's cool. And there was a there was some great and there was a new great announcement by actually Google today on some of the things that they're doing to continue to open up. Uh, the Google Maps API. And so uh, just, uh, or maybe not today, but recently they announced uh, uh, geocoding. And so where you can just, um, you know, put streets and addresses in and will automatically geotag things. And, you know, I think that's going to be really cool in the future. I mean, you'll be able to, to uh, geotag your own photo, 
And in terms of building community, if, if you want to see who else is posting photos that, that lives right around you or that's shooting right around you, you can easily see those tags and click right through. So I, I love that. Yeah, killer feature. But as I was saying, I've, I've geotagged a bunch of um, Flickr photos, so I want both the photo store and the metadata to be preserved, but for your cool right. new features to become available to me. Yeah, I mean, you should be able to, I mean, I, I believe that, that metadata, that geotagging that you've already done with your Flickr photos, that you absolutely should be able to transfer that to any photo sharing site you want, and that that data and should come along with your images, and, and right now that there's not an easy way to do that from Flickr. Uh, other than sort of the band-aid approach, I guess that the, you know the, the Tableau and, and, for instance, is used with the Flickr API to create that easy tool that just sort of maps over all your images and the metadata associated with that. But I think there's more of that, and I think you'll see other sort of standards-based uh, methods to do that. Um, I think um, Flickr really would like to see more of a uh, of a download and re-upload sort of uh, methodology, how, how that happened. But, you know, this is really early, and there's, you know, more and more photo sharing sites popping up every day, so I think this will become more and more of an issue, and portability will be one that uh, certainly Zoomer is, is a proponent of, and, and I'm sure Flickr will as well. All right, Tom, two last questions before you go, mate. Um, number one, uh, what's the latest on Price Right Photo? Price, price, photo are old friends. Um, well, the, the, it's, it's been a while, but the, the most recent one was, the most recent episode was they had gotten themselves relisted on Yahoo Shopping as Barclays. And so after after being delisted virtually everywhere as Price Right Photo, uh, they reemerged sort of a couple of months later. This is this is a few months ago, but they reemerged as a uh, as a new name, and were actually able to get themselves back on Yahoo Shopping. Uh, of course, once Yahoo Shopping was awarded this, uh, they threw Barclays off again for a second time. So they've uh, lives been made made rough for them. <laughs> <laughs> we, I know we've talked about uh, the whole price right photo on this show a number of times. It was a classic, classic episode. And the other thing I wanted to ask you is uh, now that you're actually uh, working for Zoomer, are you going to tell us your real name? Oh, uh, i got to think about that one. Because <laughs> <laughs> Thomas... Actually, Hall, actually, Thomas actually even a as pen, I'm... It's a pen name, right, for people who don't know. It, it is, it is. And, and even as um, I'm working with Zoomer, though, I still am working full-time and... Uh, in the financial services industry, and, and uh, basically why I use a pen name, it has to do more with regulatory issues, and, and working in the financial uh, services industry, um, any sort of public correspondence that I have, which would include things like a blog, uh, would need to be approved by a, a manager, essentially, and as, as much blogging as I do and activity as I do on the internet and posting, it would be very problematic to actually uh, use the same name that I'm working as a financial advisor uh, in doing that. So, okay. so maybe someday if I quit that, I'll uh, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Well, look, we'll let you go. Thanks very much for coming on and giving us a quick overview of the Zoomer stuff. Uh, and you know, congratulations on everything you've done for the digital photography space in the last couple of years. It's a great blog. Uh, it's a lot of fun, I sh- and I appreciate the time and, and being on the show. All right, mate. Have a good night. Cheers. Yep. Cheers, dude. All right. Well, that was nice of the man they call Thomas to come on the show. I didn't think he died in 1901. There you go. Yeah, that's right. Now, let me see if I can get uh, our next guest, Oren Hoffman, in without Skype crashing on me. Yeah, yeah, I'll stand by for whatever happens. It's only when I dial landlines, I think, that it tends to crash. Would you like some background music while we do this? <laughs> Oren's on Skype. Oren, Ho- Oren Hoffman, welcome to the show again, mate. 
Thank you very much. Say good day to Mike Seafang, my co-host today. Hey, Mark. How you doing? Mike. Mike. It's Aussie Mike. from Michael. Michael, <laughs> how are you? Groovy. Glad to meet you. Uh, how's, excellent. How's Rapleaf going, mate? Uh, Rapleaf is fantastic. <laughs> tell, yeah. tell us what's happened since the last time you were on the show with Rapleaf. What's the big Rapleaf news? Um, well, the, the really big rap leaf news are actually a couple of things we can't talk about. So, oh. <laughs> so I'm sorry, we've had a little press blackout on a couple of really big things. But when we do talk about them, you guys will be one of the first to know. Okay. Now, let me let me ask you a question about it, because I've uh, been putting the, my rap leaf badges on uh, the blog over the last couple of months, and i got a bunch of people that come up and say nice things about me. And I've I'm struggled with this feeling that when somebody says something nice about me, I should say something nice about them, even if I don't know them from a bar of soap. <laughs> but they listen to the show, so they know me, kind of. Right. And so they go up and they go, yeah, Cameron's a great podcaster and we love the show. And I feel, you know, I have this, this, this guilt feeling that I don't go and say something, but I go, but I don't even know these people. I mean, what, what, what is the, uh, rap leaf ethic there, Oren? I think you should only rate people that you can actually, you shouldn't say something about someone if you can't, if you don't have enough information to say something about someone. So, you know, I should just get over the guilt trip and just, you know, say thanks very yeah, much. I, I think it's very hard for you to give your personal endorsement of someone if you at least if you don't know who they are at all. I mean, yeah. you know, this guy, it could, this guy could be an axe murderer or something like that, and he might love your show. I mean, there's got to be at least one or two listeners of your show that are not reputable people. Actually, it's a fair bet to say all of the listeners of my show would not be reputable people. Reputable. This is not hey, the I'm kind a of. I'm a listener. Of your this show. is kind of the show. Well, there, there, there's a case in point. This is the kind of show that reputable people do not listen to. Which is uh, anyway. You're not here to talk about rap leaf, but it is. Uh, you know, I, I am really looking forward to seeing it becoming. Uh, a standard in the marketplace because, as we said last time, I think Woofy is a great idea. We need more Woofy. Now, mate, uh, you're here to talk about the internet black tax. You, know, you you shot me an email about this a while ago, and I thought it was a great idea that I've experienced running a, a, a an internet business, and it's uh, it, it it is something that's a pain in the ass. Why don't you explain to people what the black tax is? We, we call it the black hat tax. Black hat tax. Okay. Yeah, and the black hat tax is a tax on most consumer internet companies and that uh, is, and that's a tax on time on resources on development on uh, a compliance etc which you know we feel is probably somewhere in the neighborhood depending on the site of, of around 25 percent um, and it, essentially that's the cost of doing business if you're going to be a successful internet uh, consumer site and that that, and that could be uh, that could be stuff where you're dealing with fraudsters. That could be where you're dealing with government compliance, where they're serving you subpoenas to get lots of information. That could be that you're uh, trying to protect your users from phishing scams or from other types of scams that happen on dating sites, or a whole host of other things. So obviously, in in the real world, in a bricks and mortar environment, if you're running a real business, I mean, you you've got overheads that you have to contend with. But yeah. what you're saying is that as a percentage of revenue, running yeah. an internet business has a much higher overhead just dealing with all of this crap. 
That's correct. If you're running, if you're running a department store or something like that, a Walmart or whatever, you have to worry about theft. Uh, you have to worry about a little bit of government compliance. But instead of that 25 percent, you know, it's probably somewhere of a couple of percentage points. And it's yeah. not something the CEO thinks about or the top executives spend lots of their time on. Um, in an internet company, this is often the number one or one of the number one issues that are at, that's even discussed in the boardroom. Mm. Yeah, obviously, in some internet companies, though, you, you probably don't have the same sort of uh, staffing overhead that you have in a traditional business, which is a large percentage of your, your running costs. Absolutely. But, it's, yeah, still it's, better to, it's still better to be an internet business, for sure. Mm. But I just think this, is, this, is the, this black hat tax is something that too many people don't think about when they're starting companies, and, and this ultimately leads to demise of some of these companies. Mm. So, so what do you think should be done about it, Oren? Is this something that requires some higher level of assistance to support entrepreneurs, internet entrepreneurs? I, I don't know that there's anything that really can be done about it. I think it's just I, I, I've pointed it out only so people can discuss it and think about it and before and, and model it before they start some of these businesses. Yeah. I mean, if you think about some of these dating sites, I mean, they're spending a huge amount of their time trying to prevent scams. And there's all these different types of scamsters on their site. There's, you know, uh, people that, con you know, they, they could be fake profiles that contact men saying, hey, uh, I'd like to talk to you. And then when you contact them, um, you're really contacting them on a site that you have to pay for. Um, or there's oftentimes the, the common scam on some of these dating sites is some woman befriends a man or, you know, a quote-unquote woman befriends a man and she says she's in Russia and her husband's beating her and, and they build this relationship and then she says, oh, uh, you know, if you just send $2,000, I'll buy a plane ticket and I'll come and meet you in New York or whatever it might be. <laughs> uh, I mean, these are very common scams that are happening. I mean, the, the people are falling for them multiple times per day. And if you, if you, even, on, even on something like Craigslist, I was talking to the other day to a, a friend of mine at Wells Fargo, which is a very large bank in the United States, and um, and they are in Wells Fargo. They are they're one of the number one countries that they're noticing money being sent to is Nigeria because of all these scams in Nigeria. But uh, so is that a problem though for the internet business, or is it a problem for their users who are stupid? Well, I, it's a huge problem for the internet business because uh, it's it, these users. You know, some of them are some of them are stupid, but some of them, are, you know, are just unsuspecting and fall for these things. Some of these are very smart. Some of these phishing scams are very smart, and um, it's only a matter of time before you or I uh, may fall for one of them. Um, and you know, we, our friends might be laughing at us, but it, it may it may actually happen. Come and then, on, you know, people, people start to lose trust in these sites. Come on, it, it, can you? <laughs> Is there anything on earth that would make you send money to somebody in Nigeria you got an email from? I mean, come on, uh, man. The Nigeria one, maybe not, but if you think of all those PayPal for, um, PayPal emails you get that are phishing emails, I mean, they look pretty real. I mean, well, how I, many have you almost 
have you almost clicked on one of these PayPal or Citibank emails that you got? I mean, I've almost clicked on them a bunch of different times. You know, I just I happen to do the mouse over and take a look at it and realize the URL is going to a different place. But you or I are fairly technical people. Yeah. My mom or your mom, even though they might be very smart, are are not as technical and they might not realize that that URL is being diverted. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I guess it happens to your kids, Cam. Yeah, well, no, it, in fact, it just reminds me, one of my sisters uh, sent me an email about a month ago, said that she had uh, been offered this job opportunity, and it was something like, it's a new auction site that's setting up, and what happens is I give the people running this my bank account details, <laughs> and... When somebody buys something on this auction site, they pay the money into my bank account, and then I put it in the seller's bank account, and I act as a holding service and take a and get paid a percentage commission for doing that. And she was seriously thinking this was a good job opportunity. And I said, "Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> are you are you kidding me?" <laughs> And then as she thought about it a bit more, she realized it was probably a scam. But, um, you know, she, you know, if she hadn't had the foresight to check with Big Brother first, (laughs) absolutely, you know, she would have fallen for it. So I get your point. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, there's... But again, but, I mean, that's not uh, uh, any internet business's problem, though. That's, you know, you know, my sister being gullible. If people start to lose confidence in the business, if people lose confidence in eBay or Craigslist or Match.com or whatever, they're not going to go there anymore. Yeah, no, that's a good point. uh, One of the things that uh, I know I've experienced directly with TPN and a lot of my friends who run online business have experienced is the whole DOS attack thing. Getting denial of service attacks that can take your site down for days and can cost an absolute fortune in lost productivity and route arounds and just, you know, and lost revenue if your site's down for several days. And there's very yeah. little you can do to prevent it or to avoid it. It's it's absolutely, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, the way the Internet was designed is, you know, in a very open way, which is wonderful for most things, but um, it makes us very vulnerable to denial of service attacks. So what, you know, in an ideal world I'd love to see, apart from all of these people being round up and, um, you know, dropped off in the middle of Baghdad, is uh, with with a big sign saying uh, American military here, is, um, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> no, I no, don't have to worry about Iraq anymore. It's safe now. They have a democracy. It's safe. We we fixed it. We cured it. We can all go home. We've done such a great job. Three cheers to us. Um, is, uh, you know, the, the software and the technology to stay one step ahead of these guys and for us to have better technology to prevent DOS attacks. Uh, yeah. But we, we need technology that's accessible to startups. I mean, I can't afford to go out and spend a million dollars on, uh, you know, some sophisticated firewall anti-DOS routing system, you know. I thought you were rolling in the dough. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> mate. I'm I'm rolling in my own feces because I'm living on a park bench, having spent <laughs> every dime to my name to try and get this business off the ground. That's what I'm rolling in. <laughs> anyway, oh mate, look, thanks for coming on and and uh, oh, sharing your welcome. thoughts with us about that. You're right; it's something that most of us don't think about when we go. Hey, yeah, we'll set up an internet business. You beauty, it will be rolling in the money six months from now. I mean, you'll you'll find when you talk to CEOs of any of these consumer sites or any of the top execs. 
that they're spending 25 to 50% of their time dealing with these issues. Wow. And these are, these are really, you know, not the issues that they want to be spending time on. They want to be spending time on how to grow their business, how to be strategic, how to implement new cool features, uh, yeah. how to respond quickly to customers. They don't want to have to deal with this stuff. How to sell your business to AOL, Yahoo, Google, or MSN. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, again, thanks for coming on. And uh, yeah, congrats, Mike. Congratulations again on Rapleaf, mate. Good to see that it's going well. Can't wait to hear. Will you come back on and tell us when you can talk about the new, the new big news? Absolutely. All righty. Good on you, Aaron. Do it. Cheers. Okay. Bye bye. All righty, Aaron Hoffman. Cool. Reminds me of that reporting burden thing that you fill out on the forms when you're flying to the US. You know, how long did it take you to fill out this form and do this process? What was the cost of doing business with us? Yeah. I never mm. fill that out. I always go like a week. Oh, yeah. I'm just trying to renew my passport at the moment. Don't get me started on that one. What pisses me off is if you fly to the US regularly, as I do, why do I have to fill that every time? You know who I am. I was on this goddamn plane a month ago. Why do I have to fill it out again? You should know who I am. You should know what I'm doing here. Why do I have to prove my credentials to you every time I fly into your goddamn country? That's just sure. me. Yeah. Know your feeling. Feel your pain, buddy. Uh, all right. Um, some more news now that we've got all the guests out of the way. Uh, a teenager from Travis County and her mom. Now... Is it just me, or does it Travis County sound like redneck territory? It almost sounds like trailer, doesn't it? It does. Trailer County. I mean, I don't know where Travis County is. I'm sure it's a very respectable suburb. So if you're the, you know, the mayor of Travis County, don't sue me. But it just sounds like everyone in Travis County either lives in a trailer or has a car, you know, with no wheels up on stumps out in the front yard. I mean, that's just <laughs> that's just what it sounds like to me. But anyway, a 14-year-old girl said she was sexually assaulted by a Buddha man. What is a Buddha man? B-U-D-A. Have you got any idea? Not whatsoever, but I do feel a tune coming on, and it goes something like this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Squeal like a pig! Squeal like a pig! <laughs> oh my god! Did you just have a pig handy to do that? What the? I did. Oh it's, it's man. Unknown talents. So I can squeal like a pig, and yes, I did rut me early yule. <laughs> that is scary shit, Fang. Um, uh, Anyway, this 14-year-old girl claims she was sexually assaulted by a guy she met on MySpace.com and is suing the News Corp-owned site for 30 million US dollars Uh, claiming that it fails to protect minors from adult sexual predators. And this, you know, this again falls into the black hat tax thing that uh, Oren was just talking about. I mean, okay, these guys are now owned by News Corp so they can probably afford $30 million lawsuit, which, um, you know, they'll, they'll, you know... um, try and get out of and, and they, they can afford to protect it but you know a startup this would put a startup out of business if somebody sued me for 30 million dollars today tpn would cease to exist straight away end of story yeah end of story and there's no amount of you know uh protection insurance that i can get that would save me from that 
The lawsuit claims that the website does not require users to verify their age and calls the security measures aimed at preventing strangers from contacting users younger than 16 utterly ineffective. MySpace is more concerned about making money than protecting children online, said Adam Lowy, who was representing the girl and her mother in the lawsuit against MySpace, parent company News Corp, and Pete Solis, the 19-year-old accused of sexually assaulting the girl. Hemanshu Nigam, the chief security officer of MySpace.com, said in a written statement, We take aggressive measures to protect our members. We encourage everyone on the internet to engage in smart web practices and have open family dialogue about how to apply offline lessons in the online world. Now, I don't know about you, mate, but my personal feeling on this is... You know, if you're letting your kids on the net, it is your responsibility to make sure you know what they're doing. To, you know, it's your job as a parent to look after and protect your children, whether they're online or offline. And if you don't protect your children, and there's only so, so you know, there's only so many things you can do to protect your kids. Let's let's be honest. Kids are going to do what kids do. I mean, some of the crazy shit I did when I was 14. You know, it's a wonder that I didn't kill myself, and there's no way my parents could have stopped me. And if I had killed myself, it wouldn't have been my parents' fault, right? It would, you know, the, the the day when at about twelve, um, my best mate and I got an ice cream container in my garage when my parents <laughs> were out, and filled it up with gunpowder that I'd got from shotgun cartridges from my weekend job at the shotgun club. We put petrol in there, bit of string. You know, anything we could find and then lit a match to it and the flame leapt from the floor of the garage to the ceiling and burnt the ceiling. The fact that he and I didn't get, you know, uh, at least our bloody eyebrows burnt off with that is just, you know, pure arse and luck, right? <laughs> you got it. But, um, you know, you've got to protect your kids. You, you can't blame MySpace for this kind of shit. This is. I think, I think it goes further than that, Cam. If you read that article in the same sentence, it says, um, oh, I'm not in front of me, but from, rec- from memory was doing stuff on MySpace, you know, we blame the internet, we blame these greedy MySpace owners, and there was a bunch of phone calls as well. Well, hang on, hang on. Hey, that's right. So yeah, you go after the phone company, yeah. Exactly. So in that very article, in the same breath, they're contradicting themselves, in my opinion. I don't want the internet to be my grandmother. I want it to be like a phone company. I want it to be pipes. I don't, don't want anyone protecting the, my use of the pipes. So uh, there was a series of email and phone call conversations. He picked her up at school, took her out to eat and to a movie, and then drove her to an apartment complex parking lot in South Austin where he sexually assaulted her, police said. Now, you got a 14-year-old daughter. She's going out to dinner and a movie with a 19-year-old guy and you don't know about it? I mean, okay. I mean, again, as I said, there's only so much you can do to control where a 14-year-old kid goes and what they do, but... Uh you know, you make a good point, mate. It's it's uh, disconnect the phone, take them off the internet, and lock them in their trailer. I say. <laughs> <laughs> and and the other thing is, if MySpace wasn't owned by Rupert, would they be taking them on? You know, was MySpace more concerned about making more money when it was a struggling startup? Oh, hmm. don't get me started. This litigious society we live in. Yeah, as soon as you lack- get a bit successful, you're a bloody target. And and just this whole thing of lack of personal responsibility that people have out there. Yeah. Now, now fair enough. If a company does something that's wrong, I mean, if if cigarette companies know that their their product is giving you going to kill you, and they lie about it and tell you, no, nah, it's safe, go smoke it. 
then fair enough, they should have their ass kicked from here to kingdom come. If if a if a automobile company knows there are defects in their car that you know are dangerous and they don't you know tell you about it or they lie about it or they tell you it's safe, go after them. But if you're driving your car and you're drunk and you crash it into a tree, you don't go blaming the automobile company. Uh, exactly. It's like these guys that sue bars for selling them alcohol when they're drunk. And like, and they go and you know hurt themselves. Anyway, on a on a more positive news, this shit gets me excited. Researchers at IBM and the Georgia Institute of Technology are set to announce today that they have broken the speed record for silicon-based chips with a semiconductor that operates 250 times faster than chips commonly used today. The achievement is a major step in the evolution of computer semiconductor technology that could eventually lead to faster networks and more powerful electronics at lower prices, said Bernard Myerson. G'day, Bernie. Shout out to Bernie. <laughs> Vice President and Chief Technologist in IBM Systems and Technologies Groups. He said developments like this one typically found their way into commercial products in 12 to 24 months. Now, the big thing about this, kids, is that this isn't DNA computing. This isn't quantum computing this isn't you know nanotech this is standard silicon based chip technology that we can put into production in the next couple of years what they did is they froze the chip down to 450 degrees below zero fahrenheit using liquid helium um now I, i i don't know how you do this in production i have no idea but this is uh, 500 gigahertz, 250 times faster than the chips in today's cell phones, which operate at 2 gigahertz. At room temperature, the chip operates at 350 gigahertz, which is a lot faster than the you know 3.5 gigahertz chip I've got in my PC. Hmm. Um, that's at room temperature. Let alone at, you know if they can freeze these puppies. Mind you, in Melbourne at the moment, it almost feels that cold. It was two degrees this morning when we got up. When I when I took the kids to um, holiday camp yesterday, there was ice on my windscreen. I have never seen ice on my windscreen in Melbourne before, man. That, that was uh, that's crazy ass cold. Weird. So that's good. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of talk over the last few years about Moore's law petering out over the next 12 years and how the size of the gates on these things were getting down to 8 nanometers and 5 nanometers and, you know, they were getting to the, the, the smallest limits of physics. We weren't going to be able to pass an electrons through them anymore. But uh, then along, these guys come along and go, kapow. This Because this shit's all over Moore's law, right? Moore's yeah, law predicts well, a doubling every 12 to 18 months. This is, uh, you know, potentially a three to five hundred times increase. Exactly. And all you got to do is drop the temperature a tad. Well, even at room temperature, it's 350 gigahertz, man, which is... Oh, yeah, the room, yeah, right. ...a hundred times faster than what we're running uh, on our desktops today. So... Maybe uh, Mr. Kurzweil's right. Maybe it is more exponential than we think looking up close. Yeah. Well, that's what Kurzweil predicts, you know. As mm. Every year that goes by, we get smarter at how to do this stuff, and we have new breakthroughs that, that break all of the things that we thought were going to be boundaries previously. So you might have your bionic eye in time. God damn, I need my bionic eye. Well, that's the show today. Uh, let's just finish on the sexy robots bit, people. Um, <laughs> tell us what you think. Now, some of the comments I was reading on uh, 
the CNET blog. <laughs> people's uh, they, they were going around the blog and looking at people's responses like, for this, and I like this one. This is from the Daily Gut, which is a blog I've never heard of, but I must have to read now. It's um, top ten lines a robot will use to break up with a human. I like this one. It's not you. It's my AI 23,000 central processing unit. There is someone else. Actually, it's a self-guided RL1000 series robo-mower with docking station. <laughs> Does it matter which year? Okay, fine. The 2006. <laughs> and, uh... There you go. How was... Like how, how was my day? Well, I painted, welded, and assembled a car for you. Thanks for asking. <laughs> exactly. I've been asked segment on Daily Sonic. Fuck you, robot. You familiar with that little show? No. Oh, I'll see if I can cue it up for you. Keep keep reading. I'll see if I can find you one. Excellent. I've been asked to defuse roadside bombs in Iraq. Don't wait home for. Don't wait up for me. <laughs> uh, well, I don't just want a robot uh, girlfriend. I, I want to. I want a. I want to be a robot. As you know. As you know, but but for the record, I still love women. I just want that to be absolutely clear at the end of the show. Yeah, so today you, you love women because you know there's there's not a lot of options. But if you had women two dot zero, better get in and register uh, that before Tim O'Reilly. Yeah, gets his get hands into that. Yeah, I'll, have, I'll be having a conference on that next week. We'll call it uh, web blah blah uh, women blah blah blah, which is pretty much what I call them now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, women blah blah blah. Um, uh, you know, women two dot zero. I mean, that's where it's at, man. It, 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 you know, this is what see what this is what people don't understand. I've been saying this for years and years and years. What people don't understand the whole reason guys invented technology in the first place was so that we could come up with Android women. That is the oh, forget productivity, forget office productivity, forget forget all of that shit. The only reason all of these geeks because let's let's track it back. Technology was invented by geeky nerds that could not get laid. Why did they invent it? To one day build robot chicks who would do whatever the fuck they wanted. With and it doesn't matter if you're an ugly, scrawny, pimple-faced, glass-wearing motherfucker. If you've got a robot chick who who you can program and will do whatever you want, you're, you're home and hose. That's when the geeks rule the earth, man. When they have robot women and they're the only they're the only guys who know how to program them. So you know we'll all be walking around. With, you know, a bevy of uh, identical twin, 21-year-olds, you know, uh, Swedish blonde air hostesses. <laughs> and all these other, you know, non-geek guys will be going, man, how did you get there? <laughs> Don't you worry. She loves the fact that I'm a geek. Um, that's where it's all at. And forget this whole, you know, you know, continuation of the species thing, because let's face it, none of us really care about that. We, exactly. We, you know. And you know we're we're going to be cloning kids. You know, you want a kid, you just pull out a cell and pull out the stem cells, build one. You will build a kid if you really want a kid. But let's face it, within the next twenty, thirty years, uh, that's all going to be over. The human race is reaching its zenith. People, we are, we are petering out as a species, and that's a good thing too. Hopefully, it'll happen before we have a chance to fuck up the planet any more than we already have. Well, as long as there's still women and we've still got the right to say, fuck you, robot, I'll be happy. Are you going to give me anything from the Daily Sonic? Or you want to have you? a listen from the, the good folks of Daily Sonic? Here we go. I'm not going to be able to... tech way. This isn't going to come... Oh, okay, you do it. it. There is one thing we still 
got the right to say fuck you robot. Fuck you robot is a short radio drama about a young man and his robot. There you go, oh. shout out to the folk at Daily Sonic. You have to shoot me a link for that, I'll uh, plug it's it a, in. It's a great little show. Alright. Alright, well, dude. Thanks for joining me, Fang. It's been it's fun, been, buddy. Let's do it been again. It's a pleasure. Yeah, if Rich is away, I don't, as you know, I've got nothing better to do, so if you see me on Skype, <laughs> grab us, dude. Alright, buddy. Cheers. Cheers. Hello, everyone. Tom Allen here, host of The Jazz Show on the Podcast Network. If you want to hear some soulful, swinging, smooth jazz, The Jazz Show is where it's at. I have a reserve spot waiting just for you. Stop by at jazz.thepodcastnetwork.com.